Good evening and welcome to the online gathering of Outfitter Church. Uh, church family, I love you, I miss you, I long to see you face to face. I know I say that every week and I mean it. Um, I, if you're tuning in for the first time or if you're just a regular attender um, at our church gatherings, usually we meet at the hangar in person at 6.30 on Wednesday nights. Um, but for now, due to all of the sickness going around, we are meeting online. So I'm glad that you're joining us. I hope you're doing well. Please reach out to us if there's any way that we could be serving you and, and helping you through this time. We want to be doing that. We love you and we're honored uh, that you meet with us every week. And so thank you for that. Um, I know most of you, due to uh, self-quarantining and social distancing, you've been kind of cooped up in your homes a little bit more than usual, and so we thought that uh, it would be fitting that we would move the recordings into our home. And so welcome to the kitchen of the Martin household. And so I like this setup a lot more than I like preaching uh, to an empty room at Cornerstone Evangelical Free Church. Uh, we're very grateful to them, uh, but if you guys are going to be meeting in your homes, we thought we should be meeting in our home as well. And so I want to begin uh, with a story. And um, in, in 2004, there was a phenomenal football movie that came out called Friday Night Lights. Uh, Friday Night Lights, it, it took place and it was kind of in the setting of West Texas in Odessa, Texas, and it was the Permian Panthers, their football team. Now, this team... Um, had a legacy of year after year. They, they went to the state championship or they were always a top competitor um, in their district. And so this movie kind of details and outlines their story of their trip to the state playoffs. And, um, and of course, as is their legacy, they make it to the state playoffs. And so, uh, but they get there and they are facing uh, the Dallas Carter, I believe, Cowboys, the Dallas Carter Cowboys. And, and this team, I mean, is untouchable. They're bigger than the Permian Panthers. They're stronger. They're faster. And they play dirtier than, uh, than Permian. And so uh, the first half of the quarter, the first two quarters, they, they get slaughtered. Dallas Carter uh, just whoops them uh, up one side and down the other. And, and one of the best scenes in the movie is the halftime speech that coach Gary Gaines gives his players and he doesn't yell um, he doesn't raise his voice he levels with his people with his, with his players and he and he compassionately says these things he says it's real simple gentlemen you got two quarters left most of you have been playing this game for 10 years and after these two quarters it's very likely you'll never play this game again. And then he says, so what I want you to do is I want you to look around. I want you to look at your teammates in their eyes. And I want you to get that picture of them. He says, I want you to put that in your heart. He says, then, then I want you, uh, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think of your teammate, Booby Miles. And Booby Miles was the phenomenal Running back that had a, a career-ending knee, knee in, or he had a career-ending knee injury, um, and he couldn't play. So, so I want you to think about your brother who would die to be out there on the field with you. I want you to put that in your heart. And before all that, he'd said, "You've heard me talk all year long about being perfect, and perfect isn't about winning, and it's not about the scoreboard. It's about being able to look your brothers in the eye." When it's all said and done, 
and know that you didn't lie because you gave them everything you could have given. You couldn't have done anything more. And he says, guys, you got two quarters left. And they go out at the end of that and they play the best two quarters of their season. Now they still lose to Dallas Carter, but according to Coach Gary Gaines, they were perfect because they gave their all. And what I think is amazing about that halftime speech and what I think is so true for the passage that we're going to be in today is that it helps us in the moment to give our all when we think about the end. And so sometimes it's good to have that perspective with the end in mind. What can we do today? And so the passage that I want us to read today talks about um, the, the situation that we're in. We find ourselves in an incredibly challenging situation. And we've got to dig deep. And we've got to grind it out. And we've got to give all we have. But it's really hard to do if we're not thinking about the end in mind. And so turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're going to be in verses 1 through 11. Now, if you don't have a Bible, I, I highly recommend hopping on the YouVersion Bible app, uh, Android or Apple. YouVersion, Y-O-U, Version Bible app. It's a free Bible app. Download the CSB, Christian Standard Bible. Uh, that's the translation that our church uses. And as well, if you would like a physical copy of God's Word, uh, send us your email in a message or through our website, and we will mail you a, a physical copy of God's Word so you can have that as well. So join me in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1-11. through 11. Read with me. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same understanding, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. <clears throat> in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do. Carrying on an unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. Verse 4. They are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living. And they slander you. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the Spirit according to God's standards. Verse 7, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Shout out to Sloan's General Store in Alcova. So we just read this passage, and I want you to look at, at the first two verses with me. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same 
understanding. Because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. In order to live the remaining time in the flesh no longer for human desires, but for God's will. So two things. What's going on here? Um, What does it mean to arm yourself with the same understanding? And what does it mean to be finished with sin? Well, Peter begins and he says, Therefore, therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. So he's referring back to our last sermon where we talked about how Christ is our example for endurance and evangelism. That example in the endurance means that Jesus Christ... um, suffered. He died on the cross. He was buried and he resurrected for our sins. And so he's saying that therefore, since Christ suffered in his flesh, Christ bodily suffered. He felt pain. He says, arm yourselves. Arming yourself is like you're going to war. And so he says, arm yourself with the same understanding. What understanding is that? Well, let me, let me just paint a couple pictures for you. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. It was, it was a public area where people would go and pray. This is right before Jesus goes to be, a, before Jesus is arrested and is beaten and then is brutally murdered and crucified on the cross. And he is in the prayer garden and he prays to God the Father. And he says, Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass, then let it be. But yet, not as I will, but as you will. And what he's saying is, is that God, if there's any way that your plans for the forgiveness and the redemption of humanity can be accomplished without me drinking the cup of your wrath and enduring suffering in the wrath of God, if there's any way, then please let that happen. But yet, not as I will, but as you will. And so Christ surrenders himself to the plan of the Father and he suffers in his flesh. And then in Philippians 2, which we we read this week, it says that that though Christ was equal with God, he did not see equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and he humbled himself and became in the form of a servant, so in the form of a human. It says, and he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so Christ, he had the understanding that although he was God, that in order to accomplish the plans of God for uh, redeeming humanity's sins and, and making them right with God the Father again and restoring that relationship, he had to humble himself and he had to suffer. And then I think of the last one is in... In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says for the, for the Christians to keep our eyes on Christ, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, that is the mindset that he's saying. He's saying that because Christ had this mindset, you also have this mind among you. That no matter what, in order to accomplish the plans that God has for your life, you must be willing to suffer and to die for the sake of God. This passage screams that the call to follow Christ is a call to come and die. Arm yourselves with the same understanding because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. And so the first thing was that the understanding is that same mindset that that Jesus Christ had that in order to accomplish the plans of God, he had to suffer. That was God's will for his life. 
And so he's saying, get ready with that same mentality that no matter what it costs, you're willing to suffer for Christ. And the call to follow Christ is a call to come and die. So that's the first thing. The second thing says, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. What in the world does that mean? I just watched a documentary called The American Gospel. It's, it's a two-part, The American Gospel. I think it's Christ Crucified, and then uh, or Christ Alone, and then Christ Crucified. Either way, go on Amazon when, as soon as this sermon's done, and, and you've praised the Lord through song, and you've thanked God for our gathering. Um, go on Amazon and buy them right now. If you don't have the money, text me. We will buy them for you. Okay? It, it's an absolutely amazing documentary. You, you will not regret getting it. But what this documentary talks about, the American gospel, is about the word of faith movement or the prosperity gospel, which is a false gospel. It, it does not lead to heaven. It leads to hell. It is not true. It is a sham and it is a facade. It's not real. And what this gospel, this false gospel is saying, these preachers that are liars, they say that, that God's ultimate plan for your life is that you would be healthy, that you would be wealthy, and that you would be happy. Now, throughout the scripture, you see lots of healthy people, lots of wealthy people, and lots of happy people. Um, that, that does not, that's not God's common denominator for your life. God does not promise that you're going to be healthy, that you're going to be wealthy, and that you're going to be happy. That is not God's ultimate priority. God's ultimate priority is to redeem the human race and to bring glory to His name because He's the Creator, and when we're glorifying Him, then life is as it should be. B. And so God is not primarily concerned with your happiness, your wealth, and your health. Uh, God does not promise that by following Christ you're going to get rich. That is the biggest load of crap anyone could ever serve you. Now, forgive me for my extreme language, but truly that is exactly what that false gospel is. It is crap. The call to follow Christ is a call to come and die. And so we arm ourselves with the understanding that Christ had. That in order to accomplish the plans of God, we're going to suffer if that is what God wants. If that's what God uh, deems. If that's what God decrees. If that's what God sets up for us. We're willing to suffer for His glory. Why? It says, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with Sin. As we read earlier, you see that we're not just, we're a couple verses away from, from these non Christians. Uh, they have all kinds of cultural practices that are clearly against God's word. And, and when the Christians don't partake in those activities, they slander them, they ridicule them, they make fun of them, there's societal pressure on them, they call them haters of humanity, and they, they give them a hard time for not partaking in sin. And so you're going to get made fun of. And so Peter is telling his church, church, Count the cost. Are you going to choose sin or are you going to choose, if necessary, suffering for the glory of God? And so he's saying at the beginning of this walk, you need to count the cost. Get your mind right and be ready to have the same mindset that Jesus had, that he would suffer for the glory of God if necessary. And therefore, you have to choose that you're either going to choose your sin or you're going to choose the, the willingness to suffer for obedience to God. And it's what, what happens here is that because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin, what Peter's saying is that when you choose to go the wrath of, or the path of suffering, you've chosen to be done with sin. 
that you're not going to choose these sinful practices anymore. You're not going to live the way you used to live before Christ. You're going to choose the hard path. Because the call to follow Christ is a call to come and die. Verse 3 says, For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying on an unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. Friends, the time that you lived in your sin, however long that was, is sufficient amount of time and you don't need to go back. Did you hear that? That's what Peter's saying. They, they, they had just had to make the choice. They had to count the cost. They're going to suffer rather than sin. And so Peter is saying, hey, look, you've lived in sin before. And the time you lived in sin is sufficient. You don't need any more time on the sinful path. You don't need any more reason to go back. It, it's not worth it. The amount of sin you've done is sufficient. You don't need to sin anymore. You're good. I promise you it's not worth it. Choose the hard path. Choose the suffering. Don't choose your sin. For there's already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do. That word Gentiles is, is a, a category of anyone who is not a child of God. Someone who's repented of their sin and turned and followed Jesus and His teachings. Now it, was, it was common practice and it's well documented that there were a few things that, that this Roman culture practiced. Um, one of them was their theaters. Um, they, had, uh, they had showings, they had theaters, they had plays that were oftentimes very risque, which uh, is a very sexually suggestive show. And so the, the city would kind of gather around, like we go to the movies, uh, they would go to the shows and there would be very sexually inappropriate shows. And, and so historically, the Christians would not go to these. Um, they also had um, lots of arrogance and pride and, um, and just kind of like always defending yourselves. We talked about how humility last week is not a good trait in the Roman culture that they were in. Uh, and so there was lots of arrogance and pride. And, and so the Christians would oftentimes not participate in this uh, kind of I'm more important, I'm better than you status arguments type thing. Um, another thing is, is church, this, this was a very perverse culture. Um, it, it was not anything that wouldn't have blinked an eye. The, the culture at large generally would not have worried at all about having any sorts of sexual relationships um, and not, not having sex before marriage or even living with someone having sex with them prior to, uh, to marrying them at all. And so historically, again, the church would not participate in those things. And then another thing that uh, was well documented and, and understood in that time was they had the gladiator shows. I mean, we have like UFC, which is pretty brutal, um, but these people would gather around in an arena and watch two gladiators duke it out. But at the end, there wasn't a referee that held up someone's hands. No, um, someone got brutally murdered and killed for the sake of their entertainment. It's a horribly wicked and perverse culture. And so historically, the church in that time wouldn't have participated in those things. And that's what caused them uh, to, to be slandered, to be hated, because they didn't participate in the Roman way of life. And you know, that makes me think of America, and, uh, and it also makes me think of, of Wyoming. And 
And some of the things that we do that are just ridiculous, that, that we as Christians and we as the church really just cannot be a part of, no matter what someone says about us, uh, one of the things that really just breaks my heart about American culture and about uh, Wyoming culture is that it's, it's almost as if you didn't really watch the football game unless you got drunk during the game. I don't know why it seems as if, um, whether it's a football game or hanging out with your friends, whatever, it seems as if like you can't truly have a good time in, unless you get drunk. And, and I don't know why we've, we as a culture have accepted that drunkenness is like this good merit thing that we should all partake in. And so we as a church, we, we, we've got to resist that. Christ calls us to not be drunk, to be clear thinking, ready to serve Him. And so that's one thing that, that breaks my heart. Another thing that, that breaks my heart truly that just just digs deep is, is that our culture has so degraded marriage that, that people aren't even wanting to get married anymore. They're just, they're just choosing to have sex with whoever they want to have sex with and they think that that's going to bring them satisfaction or that it's really not a big deal to, to do that with multiple different people over and over um, or, or, or even like living together, like saying the whole like, I'm going to test drive this car before I buy it because I'm going to make sure I enjoy it um, or like, hey, I can look at the menu as long as I don't order and all kinds of these horribly stupid and perverse ideas that we just propagate as something good and life-giving and society building that's absolutely not. It destroys people, destroys families and it destroys our society as a whole and, and and it breaks my heart that, that the church is following just in perfect suit. And, and what I mean by that is that it seems like more than ever, you encounter people who truly do love Jesus. They truly do want to follow Jesus, but they're, they're living with the person that they think they might marry one day and they're having sex with them prior to marriage and they're doing all these things outside of God's clearly understood standards and what that's doing is causing harm upon their lives and it's hurting other people. It is never good, never beneficial when we're disobeying God's decrees. Church, we've, we've got to do better. We've got to come back to the Lord's word on these things. Two more things is that frustrates me is it seems that like unless there's for a girl's night, unless there's like wine involved and lots of gossiping and someone's sharing some really good saucy details that really none of them have the business of sharing negatively about someone else, that you really didn't have ladies night. Or, or you really didn't have bro night unless, again, you had a few drinks, uh, unless you spoke with some vulgar language and you talked crap about your wife and, and, and how much of a nag she is and, and things like that. And, and so church, we, we see these things in our culture that are clearly against God's word. And, and what we must do is, is that we must come away from those things and we must abstain from them. And, and what this text is about to say is that be, when we do that, we are going to get made fun of. We're going to be looked at weird. Maybe some of you who are listening to this, you're a new believer. And we've got lots of new believers in our church and we praise God for that. Um, and, and those new believers, that number of you that are new, um, you're going to start having some changes in your life and people are going to look at you differently. And you're going to have to choose that following Christ is worth anything that someone could ever say or do about you. It says, For there has already been enough time spent doing what the Gentiles choose to do. And then it summarizes living in sin. So I don't know if, 
if your story is, is one of uh, you came to Christ later in life after a drug addiction and all kinds of wild and, and crazy living, or whether as a young child you were introduced to the gospel in a Christian home and, and you gave your life to Christ far sooner than you could have uh, gained some of these toxic habits. Um, but no matter what it is, the amount of sin that you've lived in is sufficient. Um, and there's no reason to ever go back and there's no reason to partake in these large cultural sins that we clearly see go against God's Word. And as, as we move on, again, read uh, in verse 3, it says, again, that uh, there's plenty of times, the time you've spent in sin is sufficient. Um, and then it lists what non-Christians, the Gentiles, have done. It says, carrying on an unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. Verse 4, they are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living. And they slander you. Verse 5, they will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. So what I see in these verses is that where there is unrestrained living, there is spiritual death and impending judgment. So where there's unrestrained living, there is spiritual death and impending judgment. Judgment's coming. Verse 5 says that uh, there will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. Now before I hit on, on the importance of this for the non-Christian, let me just encourage you, church. Some of you, like I said, uh, your, your, your lives are changing or your lives are continually being changed and, and you're choosing not to partake in these sinful activities and people are looking at you thinking that you're weird, wondering why you're changing or why you're not doing the same things you used to do with them. Um, they're going to slander you. They're going to be surprised about that. They're going to say bad things. But let me just encourage you. That's a human's word about who you're not. They're saying all these things about you that aren't true. But when you die, you will stand before God. And it says you, they will, he, that God is going to judge the living and the dead. The living. This is a play on words. The living are those who are children of God. And the dead are those who are living in unrestrained lives in opposition to the gospel. So you will stand before God and give an account. And I believe, and I see in the text, that, that, that God is going to say to those who have been faithful, Well done, good and faithful servant. All the pain, all the sacrifice, all the suffering, all the slander that someone says about you because you choose not to live in those sins anymore, it's all going to be worth it when our God and Father says, well done, good and faithful servant. So hang in there, believer. But now I, I, I want to talk to, to the non-Christian that's listening. So to the person that's listening that has never repented of their sins, which means to turn from your sins and follow Jesus. And, and maybe you say, like, I, I've never lived... Um, one of these wild and crazy lives, Tyler. I'm actually a pretty moral person, and you very well may be. I know there's someone listening to this that is the wild and crazy guy, or the person, not, not just a guy or a girl. Um, you're the wild and crazy guy or girl, um, or you're the very high moral person that just doesn't believe in God. No matter what, any lifestyle in opposition to God is a lifestyle that's going to bring judgment and condemnation because God created you to serve Him and any lifestyle that's not serving Him is a sinful lifestyle. And so I, I, what I want to say is 
what was prevalent in this time was that it didn't, like if your religion believed in this truth, then it's true for the people who believe that religion. And what I believe about truth is, is true for this religion. And, and that's actually really common in our day. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. Um, except that there can't be opposing truths. The Bible says there's one truth. There's one absolute truth. And that absolute truth is that in verse 5, that you will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. One of the most bone-chilling things that I've ever done, and that you can do too, is you get on YouTube and you type in life sentencing breakdowns. And there's, there's these videos of compula- compilations of people who have committed these premeditated, heinous, brutal murders and crimes. And then there's also the people who just made some wrong choices and were in the wrong place at the wrong time and, and committed some crimes. Of course, they were guilty, but, but they were like, that's not who I am. But, but they, they'd gone down a line of wrong choices and got themselves into a rough situation. And, and what was the common theme in all of these compilations and these videos is that the people were standing there, and, and whether they were broken or not, um, when the judge said, I sentence you to life in prison, and then the gavel fell, you just watched their souls break. And they began, they began crying, and they began weeping and wailing, and, and some of them fainted. Some of them fell to the ground and had to have the, the law enforcement pick them up and take them out of the courtroom. And, and they, were, they were screaming, and there was, there was even slobber as they just uncontrollably just regretted everything they did. And, they, and it only hit them once the sentencing was complete and the judge had spoken. And friends, when Jesus speaks about God condemning people to hell because they rejected Him, He says that, um, that, that He's going to separate the wicked from the righteous. He's going to throw the wicked into the eternal flame, the eternal fire. In Jesus' own words, is that in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The gnashing of teeth is this grinding of your teeth when you're in agony and misery and you just you just clamp your mouth down. And it says that for an eternity there will be weeping and there will be grinding of your teeth in misery and agony. All because you chose to reject the God that created you for something better. I'm not trying to be a bully. I'm not trying to be rude because I'm sitting here at a table and talking to a camera and you're not with me. I would say it to your face, but we can't meet right now. But I love you enough to tell you where you're headed. You're headed to a place where there is unending weeping and gnashing, grinding of your teeth in agony and misery. So my question to you is, are you ready to stand and give an account to the God who will judge you? Who will judge your deeds on this earth as a rejection of His goodness to you? Are you ready to stand before that judgment? I want you to think of that. Verse 6, join me in verse 6. It says, For this reason the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the Spirit according to God's standards. 
What this passage is saying is that we who are finished with sin must take the gospel to those who are dead in sin. We just read that anyone who dies in this life, regardless of what they believed about God, like if they, if they haven't trusted in Jesus, then them not thinking that God is real doesn't change the fact that He is. And so someone who dies in this life having rejected the gospel, the fact that Jesus died for their sins and that He's the only way to be made right with God, if someone dies without um, having done that, without having trusted Christ, then they will spend an eternity weeping and gnashing their teeth in misery and agony. And so we must, since we're finished with sin, we've chosen the hard path, the suffering path, we must take the gospel to those people. So who is it in your life that you know that unless they change their mind when they die, they will enter that eternity of condemnation, of, of weeping and gnashing of teeth? That person is your mission field. So we who are finished with sin must take the gospel to those who are dead in their sin. Now join me in verse 7. It says, The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining, just as each has received a gift. Use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. And if anyone speaks, verse 11, if anyone speaks, let it be as the one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. It says, the end of all things is near. Now, I've gotten a few text messages and, and questions about, um, with all this coronavirus going around, all the sickness and the death, I've been asked, Pastor, is this the end? Um, and, and my question to that is, maybe, but probably not. <laughs> my answer to that is maybe, but probably not. And, and, and why do I say that? Because Jesus' disciples asked him, Jesus, when is the end going to come? And Jesus says to them, nobody knows the day and the hour. Not even the Son, only the Father. And he's not telling anybody. He says, rather, instead of wondering when the day is, I want you to know, here's a story. If the homeowner knew the thief was going to break in that night, he wouldn't have gone to sleep. He would have stayed up and been ready. And so what Jesus says, like literally the disciples asked him the question, Jesus, is this the end? And Jesus says, I, no one knows. I don't even know. And the father's not telling anybody. So rather, instead of wondering about the time and the place, just be ready all the time, knowing that, that the end, that Christ could come again at any moment. And so it, it's not a worthwhile endeavor to try and search the scriptures and figure out like if tomorrow because of coronavirus we're all going to die and Jesus is going to come back in a second. That's not a worthy investment of your time. I believe that these questions are good hearted and that you want to know what God is doing. You want to know if God's fulfilling his word. But God has clearly spoken through Christ in his word that says no one knows the day and the hour. So stop worrying about it. Always be ready. And so that's my encouragement to you as we as we see these crazy things going on just remember that crazier things have 
happened before. Um, let's not look for the day and the time and the place and the location. Let's just always be ready knowing that, that Christ could come back at any time. But he says the end of all things is near. And, and when Peter says the, all, the end of all things is near, I, I, I truly do not believe he's talking about a specific day. But if you think about what Jesus said in the Great Commission when he says, And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Also when Christ was teaching, he says, repent for the kingdom has come or the kingdom is near or the end is near. So Jesus says these words that the end is near. Jesus says, I'll be with you to the end of the age. And, and now Peter is saying the end of all things is near. Well, what he's getting at is a time period. He's saying the final stage of God's redemptive plan is now in, in place. So it began with Adam and Eve and they messed that up. And then you had the uh, Noah and the covenant with Noah, Noah's ark, uh, and he messed that up. Then you had a covenant with Abraham, the father of the Jews, and he messed that up. Then you had um, Moses and the law, and they messed that up. Then you had the kings and the prophets um, and the judges, and they messed that up. And now Christ, the Messiah, has come. Christ has died, been buried, and resurrected for the forgiveness of our sins and the restoration of humanity for all who repent and believe in Him. And so Peter is saying the end of all things is near, meaning that we are in the final stages of God's redemptive journey. The next thing that's going to happen is that Christ will come back and He will establish His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. And so just like Coach Gary Gaines with Friday Night Lights, he's, he's in the halftime, uh, he's in the locker room, and he gives the speech. He goes, guys, the end is coming. you got two quarters left. And what Peter is saying is that, guys, we're in the final half of the game. We, we've got to give all that we have. And so he says, with the end in sight. Here's what jumps off the pages to me. With the end in mind, we who are finished with sin seek to live in life-giving community. And so he's calling the church to be the church, to live in a holy way. And he says, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober-minded in prayer. In light of all the things going on, we're not caught up with fear or confusion um, or apathy. We, we go to God in prayer with clarity, knowing that the end of God's redemptive plan is at hand and the next thing is for Christ to come and set up his sinless kingdom. To bind Satan and destroy him and eliminate sin and have his perfect eternal kingdom forever. So that's what's coming next. And so with that, we pray clearly. And then it says in verse 8, Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. And very likely, um, Peter is pretty much referencing Proverbs 10 verse 12 that says, Hatred stirs up strife. Um, but love covers a multitude of sins. And so this isn't the warm, fuzzy, emotionally driven love that we see in the movies. This is a deeply committed love that is determined even among difficulties. And so he's saying love maintain constant determination and care for one another despite disagreements and difficulties. Why? Because love extinguishes a multitude of sins. If, if hatred stirs up strife, um, if it's causing the dust to rise, then love covers all of that. 
And so what he's saying is that a faithful commitment to care for one another more than our disagreements and over our difficulties, it covers a multitude of sins. And think about this church was probably the only Christian witness in this entire this entire city. And so if they were to allow disagreements and difficulties among the Christian brothers and sisters to wipe them out, then what a laughing stock the name of God would have become among those non-Christians. And so and I think about Bar None. We're the, we're the second church to be in Bar None in 21 years. Church, we, we can't let division and difficulties separate us. What a laughing stock we would be to our community. So let us let our commitment to love someone over our disagreements and our difficulties, let that extinguish the sin of division and, and, and uh, difficulty in our midst. It says, be hospitable to one another without complaining. And typically, hospitality means welcoming strangers. But in this context, it's talking about um, welcoming believers into your home, maybe for a formal worship gathering or also even just for uh, a safe getaway. Again, the church is this alternate society that that amongst the normal society, amongst the non-Christian culture, you're made fun of, you're ridiculed, and you're degraded. And so within the church, within people's homes, this hospitality, um, it's safe, it's encouraging, it's life giving. And so Peter is telling them, hey, open your homes and open your lives without complaining. Why does he say without complaining? Because anyone who's ever had someone into their home, like for a church gathering, you know that stuff gets broke, rules are ignored, and and, and your house is left a mess. Okay. Now we shouldn't try and do that to people who open their homes to us, but guess what? Peter's saying, get over it. It's worth it. Be hospitable. Open your homes, open your lives to, to the believer's because there is a necessity for that type of community. And then in verse 10 and in verse 11, it talks about gifts. Church, every single person who has come to faith in Christ has been given a gift. And that gift is not to serve yourself, but it is to serve the church. That's why we emphasize our church family so much. If, if your dedication and your love for the church family doesn't look a little weird to the outside community, you're probably not loving at a biblical level. God has given us all gifts so that we may serve one another. And it says whether you're speaking God's word or whether you're serving with your physical attributes and abilities, you're doing it to the glory of God. And so we must take seriously when we encourage someone and we give counsel to them, we give them counsel from the word of God and we're representing God himself. And when we serve someone with our hands, with our feet, or, or, or with our physical capabilities, what we're doing is we're trying to be the physical representation of Jesus and His love and His service towards us. And so these things are meaningful. And amongst a, a culture that doesn't love God and doesn't love that we're different than them and they make fun of us for being different and not partaking in the sins in which they love and they spend all their time doing, we get made fun of and it gets weary. But it says, if you're going to serve, let it be from the strength God provides. What's amazing is that the church can't be the church without the strength of God. That's what makes it so beautiful. Is that we can't love each other this way unless we're loving with the strength that God gives us. We can't encourage one another this way unless we're doing it with the strength God gives us. And it's only when we do it through the strength that God gives us that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ and everything. To Him be the glory and the power forever. Amen. And so church, we must must arm ourselves with this understanding that Christ Himself had. That we're going to 
do whatever it takes to accomplish the plans that God has for us, even if that means suffering. And then not, not only that, but we're not going to go back to our sin. And we're not going to participate in sin because the sin we've had is sufficient. We don't need to be done. We don't need to go back to it. We're finished with it. We've chosen suffering over sin. We're going to take the gospel to those that are spiritually dead because we know that judgment, weeping, and gnashing of teeth for an eternity is coming to them. So we're going to take that to them. And then in all of this, the church is going to love one another well. We who are finished with sin, we are going to seek to live in life-giving community by the strength that God gives all to the glory of God. So church, that let's be obedient to this passage. And let's lean into the, into the Lord for strength to accomplish what can only be done if we're using His strength that He provides. And now as we close, I want to come back to the non-Christian that may be listening to this. Again, I'm not trying to be a bully to you. But I know where you're going if you reject the gospel, the good news that, that Jesus died for your sins. And that you can be made right with God only through Him and through following Him. There is truth. And the truth is that if you continue on this path, you will be judged and condemned for an eternity in weeping and gnashing of teeth. I asked you, are you ready to give an account to God for what you've done by rejecting Him? And I wonder if while I've preached God's Word, God has opened your eyes and you want to turn from your sin. And you want to trust Him. You want to choose to suffer rather than to sin. You want to take the gospel to those who are suffering. And you want to live in a community that is life-giving. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And so for all of you in your homes, if you would, close your eyes and bow your heads. And if you want to surrender your life to Christ right now, I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. It's nothing special. It's just proclaiming truth. And so if you're ready to submit to the Lord so that when you stand before Him after you die, you can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You have trusted in the Son that I provided for your sins. If that's you, if you want to submit to Christ, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. God, you are perfect. I am not. I've chosen unrestrained living. I've chosen my own plans for my life. I have rejected the forgiveness and love you offer. But tonight, I change my mind. I'm going to turn from my sin. I'm going to choose suffering over sin. I won't go back to my sin. I'm going to take the gospel to those who don't believe it. I'm going to serve the church 
I'm going to live in life-giving community. Forgive my sins. I believe in Christ's death, His burial, and His resurrection. And through that, I may have a new life. I give you my life, Lord. I will follow you all my days. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to message us on Facebook, and I want you to uh, email us on our Facebook on our, on our website. Let us know. We want to celebrate with you. We want to get you a Bible. We want to help you take the first steps as a believer. Uh, let me pray for our church now, and. And then we're going to sing a song and we're going to praise the Lord. And Father, help us help Outfitter Church to follow you, to choose suffering over sin. Help us to be obedient to this passage. God, help us to endure in the midst of this social distancing. And God, we miss each other so much. Keep growing that love within us. And help us keep looking forward to when we see each other again. Father, we love you. And through your strength, we can make it through this. In Jesus' name, amen.